Hey everybody, it's Jim Mallard here. Welcome to the Mallard Report. The Mallard Report is recorded in front of a live virtual audience on the Duck Pond. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Eastern, live. Mallard.com. M-A-L-L-I-A-R-D.com. One more thing before we start. Let me turn it over to my friend that you may know from Ancient Aliens and the Curse of Oak Island and many other things. Robert Clotworthy. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. On the Malliard Report, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the show are solely those of the hosts and guests, and not necessarily of Evergreen Podcasts, KillerPodcast.com, sponsor or affiliate, or any other individual or group. I want to welcome everybody into the Mallard Report this evening. Okay, before I even introduce my guest, I'm just going to say this up front. Be very transparent and open and honest. Tonight's show is probably, possibly going to make you pissed off. I have this feeling, just going into it. Just for the record. So just be aware that I, I warned you. Okay, my guest tonight is... Corey Nathan, he is the producer and host of Talking Politics and Religion. He is convinced that we can be good neighbors and live well across from each other despite our differences. Corey is a husband, father, Jew from Jersey, which is kind of funny because we had the rabbi on last week, but he became a Christian. Businessman, a gauge citizen, and New York Mets superfan. I'm sorry about that. Uh, please welcome Corey to the report. I'm a Pirates fan, so I can be. I have to be sorry to everybody. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was a pirate, but I'm not even anymore. I, I, I kind, I, I guess I still am because I haven't officially switched to anybody else. But, ugh. Oh yeah, you're the, the pirates were the bane of our existence in the late '80s, early '90s. You know when you had Bonds and Benia and uh, what was his name, the guy who won the Cy Young, Drayback, I think was yeah, his well, name. Yep, yep. Yeah, but, yeah. But that, but that was you know almost a thirty years ago. ago. Yeah, I was going to say a long time ago. And but hey, at least we're not still paying Benia. Yeah, <laughs> you really just got to put in the knife right off the bat, twist it around a little bit. <laughs> I mean, that, that, yeah. that is like my—I I don't remember when it is, but every time I see that, that makes me smile. Like, yeah, that, that hey, good for him though to get that that deal worked out. So he's still—I mean, let's be honest. If well, he have that money coming owner, in. Yeah, yeah, the new owner makes a joke out of it. You know, I, I'm I'm very happy with our new ownership. The last ownership, the Wilpons. They were an absolute joke. They were just a, an absolute. They didn't. Uh, they, they, they should have just like moved out west with the Dodgers in '57. You know, <laughs> uh, they were an embarrassment. They, the Mets were good when Doubleday was half owner of of the team, and then when the Wilpons took over, guy put his son in as president of baseball, and it just what are you doing? You, you have a little toy that you're playing with. So yeah, I, I was, understand uh, about bad ownership. I mean, yeah, our guy yeah, takes yeah. the money and runs. Down yeah. to this resort that isn't even that great. Whoops. <laughs> well, anyways, I said it. See, I told you we haven't even got anywhere remotely controversially yet. So, yeah. So let, let's let's talk about the talking religion or politics and religion podcast. What? Obviously, I kind of have an idea what got you into that because we're kind of in the same vein. But what what got you good on? Yeah. So I when I became a Christian. I had to have obviously really difficult conversations with family about why I did what I did. You know, I grew up in a very observant Jewish family. We were going to an Orthodox synagogue my whole life. So I had to have, you know, difficult conversations about religion, you know, not, but, but it's not just about religion. It's about family. It's about philosophy. It's about politics. It's about social issues. It's about, you know, it's, it's about everything. It's all encompassing. And then the other thing too, though, it, it was interesting because I became a Christian in 2000, late 2000, October, I think of that year. And, um, things were already starting to heat up in terms of divisions. Um, what I didn't realize, see, I became a Christian based on theological convictions. Uh, I was really compelled by some great theology I was reading. And then especially when I, finally cracked open the new Testament and read this really great philosopher theologian named Jesus like that. That's what was uh, so convincing to me is the philosophies that he espoused. But I walked into a church and became part of a church community where <laughs> the things that were most important to a lot of folks that were going to that church 
wasn't necessarily like a lot of things that Jesus was talking about, frankly, was at odds with what was really important to them socially and politically. So I found myself in tough conversations a lot of the times because I just when I came to this conviction to become a Christian, listen, you know, from a philosophical, theological, ethical standpoint, scripture is my go to. It's my source, you know, so and that's supposed to be the default position of, of folks who call themselves Christians. But that's not necessarily the case, even going back 20 something years ago. You know, and now fast forward, you got a lot of people calling themselves evangelicals. Eh, I don't know. That's kind of like the name of their team, but what what they're all about has nothing to do with evangelia. You know, with nothing to do with actually the the virtues espoused in Scripture. So uh, these these conversations I've been having to have uh, in my Bible study, Sunday school classes, in my church communities, and. Um, I just the project started the talk politics and religion without killing each other started because I feel like we need to be doing it better, you know, that more than any particular issue or any particular politician for the most part, we need to figure out how to talk to each other better, how to how to have conversations uh, and nurture relationships across specific differences and to recognize when things become idols to us. You know, recognize when a particular position or rooting for a particular politician becomes more important than anything else. That's idolatry. So I just thought even having that conversation, being able to name that, not that folks should, should agree with me, but we can, we can, if we can't agree on the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, like we, we got nothing to talk about, you know, and uh, I don't know that that's what the project is all about just trying to do this thing a little bit better. And me being the Jew from Jersey that I am, I got some sharp elbows sometimes. So I'm the, I'm the number one student. Like I, I try it. Like I have the most to learn. One of the reasons I felt compelled to, to get into it is because I've been frankly just screwing it up left, right and center. So uh, it's more of a lesson for myself more than anybody else. Uh, but you know, trying to have conversations with others along the way. So that's what's all that that's what it's all about. I totally appreciate the conversations, especially the um conver- the civil conversations that people need to have. I mean, obviously yeah. you you've we connected because of those types of conversations. But for but first, let's get after it duckpawnshop dot com. Let's get after it duckpawnshop dot com. Okay, so my question for you is you mentioned yeah. you mentioned the Bible. Now yeah. the most printed book in the history of man. Well, obviously, because there's nine million versions of it, right? It's not, okay. Maybe that's a stretch. It's eight hundred fifty-five thousand, um, <laughs> but it's probably also the most misquoted, most misrepresented, most abused book ever, too. I'm not going out on the limb by saying any of this stuff, right? No, no, not at all. So I, I, I think. So go yeah. ahead. You tell me your thoughts, and then I'll fall keep falling up here. No, I mean it's. Um... You're right on all fronts. Like, there's nothing to argue with there. I think that folks use it as all, the wrong sorts of weaponry, and folks are able to take a you know broken, it, like break it on the ground, like b- broken pieces, shards of glass, and pick up whichever piece they they want in order to meet what's called a priori their preferences, something a, a preference they arrived at before they even started reading scripture. And they'll find a half of a verse somewhere that can support that preference that they've arrived at before they actually read it. But my, what I find myself doing in a lot of situations, and frankly, some folks find it offensive. You know, oh, you found that little half of a verse somewhere in Le- at the top of Leviticus 19. How about we read at least the whole chapter? We don't have to read the whole all of Leviticus, but why don't we just read the rest of the chapter? Because I think that point that you're trying to make about, you know, how awful immigrants are and how they're bringing in drugs and rapists and all this stuff. You know, if you read just the chapter, you know, a, a few more verses down, that chapter is making a very different point than what you're trying to say. So if that's not important to you, if scripture's not important to you, okay, fine. Let's just call it what it is. You hate immigrants. Okay, that's cool. That's your that's your prerogative. But let's not pretend to, that scripture says something that it doesn't say. If we're going to sit here and say that we're Christians and we believe the authority of scripture, let's at least let, let's at least read it. Not the half of a verse somewhere that you found to support a thing that has nothing to do with what the Bible is actually saying in context. So, 
And, and let's double down on let's double down on this conversation because, okay. like I said, we're going to get to the point where we're going to irritate almost everybody that listens to the show, and that's kind of the goal. I'll do my best, man. Kind of the goal to make people uncomfortable, but make them yeah. not, you know, angry. Well, maybe a little bit, but you know, whatever. Yeah. To move the meter one way or the other on people. How about the Bible was never meant to be wrote down? It was meant to be passed down as an oral tradition. Yeah, you know. I did a I did a study of the first uh, twelve chapters of Genesis about five years ago. Great scholar, uh, Christian. He's a professor at Fuller, and we talked about that possibility. See, that possibility it doesn't shake my faith because I, you know, growing up Jewish, observantly Jewish, understanding the history of my people, I understand and I can picture uh, a tribe that I am descended from sitting around fires being great storytellers and and finding stories and crafting stories, perfecting stories to give a sense of meaning of who we are uniquely as a people, give a sense of grander meaning about the universe and how it all started and, you know, human being special place in the world. Uh, There's, there's, there's reasons that we tell each other stories, uh, giving ourselves a sense of meaning really. Um, giving ourselves a sense of history, giving ourselves a sense of where we are in the grander story of what's going on in the world. And me, you know, as a as one person in in this tribe, one person in this family, one person in the world, where my place is within that larger story, not as the center of it, but as a unique part of it. You know, so I can see us sitting around the fireplace or sitting around the campfire. And, and telling these stories, perfecting these stories, and then over time deciding, you know what, we're, we're going to write these stories down. So that that doesn't trouble me at all, um, you know, as well as forming, you know, again, you, you mentioned it kind of uh, in your intro where what is this project about? It's about figuring out how to live well amongst each other. So there's, there is a uniqueness to uh, Judaism or the people of Israel in that they were among the first to codify how we live together. Uh, so, some of the, some of the laws, six hundred and thirteen mitzvot in in Torah, um, are explainable. Uh, you, don't kill, don't murder, don't steal. You know these things are make sense. Some of them don't make sense. Like, listen, lobster's really good, shrimp's really good. I don't know why I have to avoid that stuff. You know the shellfish thing. I don't get it. But so, so some of it is uh, seemingly arbitrary to us, but part of it is about setting a set of codes, a set of um, moral, ethical behavior, really, about how to live well in the world, about how to live well among each other. Uh, so, you know, writing that stuff down after figuring it out orally, that's cool. I, I can do it. Because here's the thing. I, I think what you might be getting at is, like, some people take it so literally. And uh, I don't think that's how a lot of those stories were meant to be taken. Like Genesis 1 and 2 is an obvious one where, well, it's seven literal 24-hour days and it's 6,000-something years ago. I'm like, dude, if that's like the main thing that you're deriving from Genesis 1 and 2, like you're, you're not reading it very well. Because, because <laughs> like, again, as a Jew, like I can picture my people. Let's let's just say for argument's sake that that – the the thing that happened at Mount Sinai actually happened. Let's just for just let's pretend, okay? So the Bible says that there's about 600 men of fighting age at the foot of Mount Sinai. So we can derive there's maybe two or three million people total there. All Jews, all my people, all my ancestors. I am here to tell you when God's voice boomed from that Mount Sinai, as the story goes, that, and when he said, you know, when he got to the and 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 it was a day and it was good and he mentioned today not a single one of those two or three million people my people jews not a single one said i wonder if he means a literal 24 hour day like not not one because that's not the point of that part of the story the point is more about the formation where we came from how this all started like how the formation of a people and like if you're counting minutes and days and seconds like come on let, let's read it contextually. Let's read it well. You're getting me fired up, Jim. Sorry. I'm going off the rails already. No, no, that's good. We've still got 45 minutes for me to push the train <laughs> off the tracks and down the hill. And, uh, <laughs> uh, okay, so now now let's do this. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Shifting Gears brought to you by evergreenpodcast.com. Okay, so here we are. We've, we've, come, we've kind of boxed in religion, which is a bad term, but I just said it. 
we kind of know where you're at and you know where you're going with that. Now, let's pour gas on the fire. How do we get the politics in this picture? Yeah, I kind of alluded to it already. Uh, The the politics comes in because I really I've learned, and and a lot of academic work has has been um, put has been spent on this. great academic work has been spent on this, that American evangelicals have put political preferences ahead of scriptural convictions, ahead of scriptural, biblical, biblically founded truths. So, you know, <laughs> the favored, uh, you know, the, the, the cult of personality, the person that it's all after these days is... Um, I, I could open up virtually any page of the Bible and it testifies against the words, actions, and character of Donald J. Trump. Now, a lot of my friends that I go to church with find that very offensive. Oh, well, what about, you know, Biden and Biden, you know, Biden, Hunter Biden, and what about this? And what about, I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I could care less about Biden. Like, yeah, you know, what, you, you want to shift the conversation to what about this? And, you know, or, or they'll take it to, to another, uh, you know, they'll shift it another way and it's more broadly. Well, the left is really trying to, you know, they're all pedophiles and they're all trying to come into my house and take my guns and they're trying to kill Christmas. I'm like, I don't know what guys you're listening to. I don't know how you're getting convinced of this stuff. I don't know if you even believe half the shit that's coming out of your pie hole. But that right there, your view of the left is why you've just you've just justified all kinds of it, not just idiocy, but anti-biblical, anti-scriptural, anti-Christian behavior. Because if, if you're convinced that there's a culture war going on and they're trying to rape your children and steal your guns and all these other things that are really, really important to you, then you can justify a guy like Donald Trump. Because why? He was actually very strategic in 2020. One of his slogans was, he's fighting for us. So far be it from me to convince somebody in one conversation that, you know what? What you're really scared of and the pe- all these people that you really hate, it's an illusion, dude. It's an illusion. And, and what, what you've done is you've, listen- you've listened to another authority. I don't know what shows you're listening to. I don't know what podcasts you're listening to. I don't know what crap you're reading online. But you've been convinced of an illusion. And that illusion has forced you to generalize, mischaracterize, and vilify large swaths of people that are outside of your particular orthodoxy. And that, it, like, it, so many churches that I've walked in, Bible studies I've walked into, my kids went to a Christian school. The conversations are dominated by the loudest, most obnoxious, least informed, least well-informed people. And and the the um, silenced majority, the exhausted majority, actually knows better, but they just don't want to get involved in those conversations because the loudest, most obnoxious guys are taking all the oxygen out of the room. Like me, right now. <laughs> well, know, no, but, but, but we'll, we'll, I'll settle the argument with you right now. You, okay. you can't argue with an idiot because <laughs> nobody will be able to tell the difference. Okay. Right? You're absolutely right. Yeah, once you get in a mud-throwing contest, everybody gets dirty and, you know, you start digging your own hole, something along those lines. Yeah. Yeah, but there's there's actually a lot of scripture about that. I mean, Proverbs is filled with, you know, the the, the it, it, it's about wisdom and, and the foolishness of arguing with fools. Um, but there's so many people, okay, I have to confess something. The Mets, when I turned off the TV and came to join you, the Mets were down three nothing. When Degrom is push, pitching, so I, I got a bug up my ass tonight. <laughs> so, you know, so I, I, you know, that's why I'm a little fire and fury right, right now. Uh, but, it's working to my favor. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. Who are you rooting for now? So you're not a you're not a Pirates fan anymore? No, I haven't really watched that much baseball. It's just slow, and I've got mm. kids in this podcast, and you know, there's you know how that goes. Okay. Uh, well, it's working in your favor because I'm, I'm all piss and vinegar right now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I forgot. Uh, okay. No. So we'll, we'll reset here. Let's do this. Okay. So we, we've got the two sides, right? Yay and B. Either way, mm-hmm. either way you want to cut it, right? Yeah. You, you're, you're trying to bring people back to the, well, I don't want to say the middle. Cause I think there's a place for left and right and middle. But I think we need to get people. If the earth was flat, we need to get people off the edges. Yeah, yeah. See, I, I don't even think left and right are sufficient ways to describe a continuum anymore because we've lost the sense. Like when I when I learned civics and I learned the definitions of different types of um, governments, you know, fascist was very you know to the extreme right, 
and uh, socialist communism, which is to the extreme left. But when folks throw around a word like fascist or tyranny, I don't think they I think it's just name calling. It's like you're a big idiot. Like, you know, you're you're a fascist. Like a lot of folks have lost what those terms actually mean. And frankly, I don't think like we're talking about when we refer to uh, the MAGA movement as conservative, it ain't conservative. Like my understanding of conservative shaped by um, philosophers like Edmund Burke or more contemporary guys, like second half 20th century, William F. Buckley, or uh, more, even more contemporary guys, a guy that's still alive. I think he's in his eighties, Thomas Sowell that, you know, those guys were philosophically sound. Uh, they had philosophical moorings. The current MAGA movement that's referred to as conservative is so far from conservative. I mean, look at specific, uh, I mean, we could take, we could take specific legislation from, e- even if you're not talking about Trump, you're talking about, say, um, Ron DeSantis from Florida. If you, if some of the legislation that he's passed is the furthest thing from conservative, furthest, furthest thing from small business, uh, small business friendly fiscal conservative. You know, when, when he, when he passes the, the don't say gay bill or whatever, you know, I, I know it's called something else, but it's basically like, Hey, you know, don't say those words. You know, kids will be offended if they hear it. And we're going to, you know, I, I don't know what the reasoning was. The reasoning was it was an own the libs piece of legislation, but it was anti lowercase l liberal and thus anti conservative, anti conservative. When he passed legislation basically as a way to smack Disney in the face. Uh, for basically, you know, Disney has um, LGBT uh, employees and they wanted to have their backs and say, this is, you know, a company that welcomes you, affirms you, and, you know, you contribute to our team. And he just wanted to smack them around a little bit. You know, DeSantis wanted to smack them around a little bit. That's anti-business. Get your, you know, or even during the pandemic, what, however you feel about um, uh, vaccines, uh, y- you know, as a small business owner, I wanted to make my own decisions. As a conservative, I wanted to have agency to make decisions about my own company in the best interest of the company and especially in the best interest of the people who work for my company. But if I had some governor telling me, oh, no, you can't, you are not allowed to make your and, and in the best interest, frankly, of my customers as well. You are not allowed to do this or that when it comes to vaccines. You're not allowed to take this stance. No, 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 dude. Mr. Governor, it's my fucking company. You know, it's my company. As a small business conservative, it's my company. Don't tell me what I can do with my company. You know, it, now, there's a limitation to that. I can't enslave people. I have to treat people well. But you know what? Um, uh, the laws of economics will work that, that will work itself out. I also have to be competitive. So even if I'm not just a good guy who wants to do right by my employees, I got, I got, you know, all kinds of other companies who are competing for them. So I'm going to do just the, you know, that competition is going to force me to do the right thing. I don't need some governor telling me I can't have uh, vaccines or I can't do this or that. So what DeSantis did, uh, piece of legislation after legislation, uh, it's, it's an own the lib strategy. And what he hasn't thought through is like, dude, so much of what you've done is anti-conservative. So let's not call, you know, MAGA red hat wearing guys conservative. It ain't conservative. It's a, it's basically an own the libs uh, philosophy that undergirds that, you know, that undergirds everything that they do. There's no there's no moorings. There's no philosophical, political philosophy or, or even a sense of ethic, really, uh, as we would understand ethics that is informing uh, a lot of these actions that they're taking. So, I'm, again, pouring gas on the fire here. This is going to be good. <laughs> Doubling down again. I don't know how many more times I can double down before we get to the bottom. But oh man, here we go. Let's try this one. Okay, all right. So we're we're on the heels of September eleventh, two thousand one, right? Yeah. I mean the anniversary of, and there was September twelfth, and everybody posted those memes. Well, I guess they're not memes yeah. when they're supposed to be sentimental and thoughtful. Yeah. Right. But it kind of feels like memes now because nobody, you know, they posted on September twelfth, but September thirteenth, you know, they're back to their you know, everybody should get back to the the feeling we had that day. Of course, later yeah. that day, they're back out there butting heads with everybody, but nevertheless. But in this moment, September 13th, 2022, would that event, if it, ha- it happened again tomorrow, God forbid, but let's just throw that out there. Of course, it won't happen because obviously the Twin Towers don't exist. But nevertheless, some level of event on that level. 
would that polarize the country again the same way it did back then? So I think that we do have some events that we can point to and, and we might be pessimistic about it. But the truth is, January 6th, I thought was going to be a similar event where a lot of folks who were sort of Trump adjacent or Trump, even Trump friendly uh, and, and even pundits on the radio. I thought it was going to be one of those things similar to September 11th, 2001, where it's like, oh, right, this has now gone too far and now we need to come together. But because we had a certain president in the off in, in you know, the Oval Office that we did um, event or, or events like a pandemic on what in what universe is it is a pandemic something to use to further polarize people but i think i think that president when he was in office the point the, the pain is the point the polarization is the point so i'm not saying i'm not saying joe biden's never done anything that's polarizing I mean, he's gone out and started naming you know like the mag extremes um you know so he it's it's not to say he doesn't do anything polarizing but I think with a pandemic, with an attack on the Capitol, with terrorists, like, look, have we forgotten what is good and what is bad? Have we forgotten to come together with our neighbors uh, across our differences when something that transcends all of that happens? The, the answer is no, we haven't forgotten that. But we had a particular person in the Oval Office who the polarization was the point, you know, and... um I think that we can do better if we if if we train ourselves to um, have a healthier uh, media diet. I think if we train ourselves to be informed more fully. And listen, not everybody's going to agree with me, especially on something like DeSantis uh, or or even Trump. Um, you know, a, a lot of folks. I don't know how many folks who are listening are hate hate Biden. You know, like I I don't care. I don't care. It, you folks are entitled to their opinion about that, but there are certain things where I could give a shit about your opinion. If you think that the election was stolen, you're wrong. So we get, you know, like to that extent, like maybe I'll try to have a conversation with you and find like maybe uh, a way into uh, nurture a relationship. You know, you're entitled to be wrong, but you are wrong about it, but I'll still have a conversation with them. You know, uh, at the end of the day, like, I'll give you I'll give you a couple example one example in particular. Um, I was really good friends with this guy named Randy, really really nice guy, big Trump supporter, um, but but a super nice dude. Play poker with him all the time. Love him, love his family, love his wife. Um, so when uh, this was what uh, June of 2021, so we were already uh, over a year into the pandemic, and Randy just felt very differently by that time about vaccines and all that stuff. And like, Randy, come on, man. Like, I, I know you're a Trump fan and all that, but like, you got to know, like science, you know, my, my, my partner and I have this expression, like gravity always wins, <laughs> you know, time is undefeated. There are certain principles that whatever you believe and whatever research you've done, if you found out that, you know, like uh, gravity ain't real, you're just, gravity's going to win that, you know? Uh, so, so I was trying to have this conversation with Randy and it's a sad ending to this story, but like, um, Debbie, his wife, I hope they're not listening, but anyway, I, I should have used different names, but um, Debbie, his wife, also just a wonderful, wonderful woman, was just kind of going along for the ride. I think Debbie had to get the vaccines because she was working for the school district. And then um, we played poker with them on a Monday, and then Thursday, they were they were going out to their um, vacation house, and uh, Debbie, Debbie texted us. She's like, Randy's coughing, and he just won't go to the doctor or anything. So a couple of us texted her, Randy, just go to the fucking doctor. You know, like, come on. And then um, Friday, he finally, it got so bad that he just, you know, she took him into um, the ER. Uh, Saturday, he was basically on life support. And by Sunday, he was dead. Uh, it was COVID. Um, you know, but but because he was listening to certain programs, because he was following certain movements, he was telling himself, ah, it's just a cough. I'll get it. We literally had that conversation the Monday that I saw him. Uh, he's like, yeah, you know what? If I get it, eh, so yeah, it'll be a bad cold and I'll get over it. You know, I'm pretty healthy. And he is. He, he was a pretty healthy guy. 
I'll get over it. 99.9%. I'll get over it. And, uh, you know, then I'll be immunized, you know? And, uh, he was kind of making fun of me about it. I'm like, I don't know, man. Like when I play poker, (laughs) like if, if I'm, if I got a one outer, like there's one card in the deck that can complete my hand. I don't know. It depends on who I'm playing against. It depends how, you know, uh, how feisty I'm feeling. Um, it depends what my stack looks like. A lot of it just depends. But like, but I might still take that bet. <clears throat> but when the when you when the stack that you lose is your life, and that's the bet you're taking, I'm not willing to take that risk. You know that. And that's that's exactly the conversation I had with Randy. The you know a, a week before he died. So, um. Yeah, so gravity always wins, time always wins. Like, there are certain things that I'm just not, like, I I try to leave hope for a lot of folks. I try to leave space for a lot of folks to be able to have these difficult conversations, you know. But I also know that, look, I am not going to convince somebody like that to turn, to make a 180 degree turn overnight. But, you know, if I'm in the conversation, maybe I can have 1% of uh, influence, 1% of persuasion. You know, but at the same time, the only time I'm really effective in that is when I'm open to being persuaded about it. So as, as sharp as my elbows might seem right now, the truth is I have friends like that. You know, I'm in conversations like that. They know where I'm coming from. I know where they're coming from. And at least we're having the conversation. But where it grieves me is when it's just like, no, man, you're, you're wrong about that. And to, like, you're entitled to be wrong. But when it's, it's, it's a life or death issue or when it's about, the the democracy that we say we believe in, then the consequences aren't just about cheering on your favorite pundit, uh, you know, on Fox News or OANN or whatever the hell you're listening to. It's the, the consequences are real. This is our country that we're talking about. You know, I got a representative here in California 27 who voted to overturn the election in other states on the night of January 6th. So that that's when shit gets real. So I don't know. There's some things I'm willing to have a conversation about tax policy, foreign policy, immigration. Po- like I'm willing to have a conversation about a lot of this stuff because I don't really have a strong opinion about it. But I have a strong opinion about what's right and what's wrong. I have a strong opinion about the virtues that are espoused in, in scripture. I have a strong opinion about things that there, there isn't like, well, you know, the other side is blah, blah, blah. Some things there is no other side. The election wasn't stolen. The pandemic was real. People died. Vaccines were like there's certain shit that, I, that there, there's no debate. There's no well the other side, you know. So again, you got me off the rails, man. You're doing a good job. <laughs> if that's your goal, you're doing a really good job of it. Okay, so now I, I think it was 2015. I'm trying to get confirmation from my listeners, but nobody's seeming to remember that I started calling for a third party. Now, I think now I think. We're getting closer every time I turn around to having, I don't know what it is because I know, I know the problem and I've known the problem for, what is it? Seven years. Yeah. The problem's money, right? Because if you don't have the money in politics, you might as well forget it. Yeah. Right? But there's something, there's something to this. Yeah, there is something to it. Um, And I think that there are green shoots that you should be encouraged by. Now, I don't know if any one of these things um, are go- going to really uh, bear the harvest that you want or some combination of them. But here, here are the green shoots that you, you can be encouraged by. Uh, we're seeing more and more states experiment with things like um, open primaries where I don't have to be – I've been a registered independent forever. Uh, so I, there, there have been times when I haven't been able to vote in primaries because you either need to be a registered Democrat or registered Republican to vote in the Republican or Democratic uh, primaries. So more and more states are, are experimenting with open primaries. Uh, the other thing is what you just saw in Alaska is um, ranked choice voting. So fo- there's like a series, there's like a set of rounds you go through where people get to rank their um, top choice, second choice, third choice. The reason Sarah Palin lost is because you know, there was a, a certain contingency that felt very strongly about her, but they were like a lot, like the way a lot of primaries go. They were the extremists within one particular party. But the truth is, when folks had another option, they would either vote for a real conservative within that party. And if they couldn't vote for a real conservative within the party, they recognize Sarah Palin for who she is, which is a fraud. Uh, she's, you know, she, 
I'd love to have her in my Bible study, but she has no business being near any, you know, elected office. And, and I say that as somebody who's John McCain was one of my favorite politicians of the last, you know, since I've been alive. Um, so, uh, so she was, she ended up, she got first choice in this ranked choice system. She got first choice in, you know, the extreme contingency. Um, but everybody else, you know, three, basically three quarters of the voting public in Alaska had her not even on their ballot. At the at the best, she was third choice of others. So that's why the Democrat won the House seat uh, in in that um, special election in Alaska here recently. So these things, open primaries and ranked choice voting, has a way so far from what we've seen in in um, state by state elections that have uh, held them is it has a way of winnowing out extremists, which I think would be a good thing. You know, if you told me that we're going to have a Congress that's made up of all, you know, a majority of the people in Congress are participating in the Problem Solvers Caucus, for example. Um, I don't even like the word moderate because a lot of those folks have strong views, but it's a collection of Democrats and Republicans who are committed to, you know, who are committed to compromising, who are committed to, you know, finding common ground on some place and who understand that getting 80% of what they want isn't the enemy of getting a hundred percent of what they want. So if they can get some, like, and the legislation that we've seen, by the way, a lot of it was led by guys who are in the problem solvers caucus, the legislation that passed under Biden, like you could talk all you want about green new deal and all this stuff, you know, or, or other things that you might see as, as extreme. The truth is what passed bipartisan infrastructure, a, a piece of gun legislation that the negotiations were led by the Republican Senator from, from Texas and then um, this last one, they called it the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, but it's, it has it actually has more to do with environment and um, saving, you know, giving Medicare some leverage to negotiate drug prices. Um, that one was led by a, the guy from West Virginia, you know, the guy that all the Democrat he's a Democrat, but all the Democrats hate him because he actually has some independent views, you know, and and you know, so a lot of that. What that tells me is that bipartisanship is what works. Bipartisanship is what's going to get things done finding common ground with people like I'm going to vote for somebody in my district that I disagree with on an issue by issue basis, anywhere between 75 and 90% of the time. But the one thing that we definitely agree on is that, is that we believe in democracy. We believe in our democratic institutions. We believe that the last election, you know, and let's say what you want about like, Oh, well, there was some fraud. Yeah, there was some fraud. Uh, there was also, you know, but these things that, um, Mike Garcia, my my current congressman, is talking about the effect on the election that whatever fraud that actually happened was de minimis. It didn't have an effect on the election. Uh, but um, so anyway, I was talking about the green shoots, green shoots. Oh, if there's more open primaries, if there's more ranked choice voting. Um, the other thing, too, is I think what you're seeing is a reduction in large donors a reduction in large donations and an increase in grassroots donations, small dollar donations. You know, if you look at campaigns like Bernie Sanders, you somebody, somebody I hate like uh, Marjorie Taylor green, they're funded by five, $10 at a time. I think that should be encouraging. I don't know about like getting money out of politics altogether, but I do think that that, that having campaigns more um, supported by small dollar donations is better than having, you know, a few basically, you know, hey, I'm going to give you a million bucks for your campaign. So now you got to do whatever I want you to do. Um, I don't want my congressman, which my congressman currently is, beholden to, you know, one big blue chip corporation that gave him a million dollars for his campaign. So I think when campaigns uh, like Christie's, and again, I disagree with her as uh, she's a Democrat. I disagree with her 75 to 9% of the time on fiscal issues, even some environmental issues or the policies that she's um, espousing uh, at times to, to solve, you know, pro the, the way she gets to solving problems, I disagree with, but I'm still voting for her because she's supported not by one big, you know, uh, one big entity that's going to tell her what she needs to do and what she needs to say. She's supported mostly by small dollar donations. That encourages me. It's a more democratic way of going about it. Um, and then the fourth thing is a really long answer, but uh, right choice voting, open primaries, small dollar donations taking um, being more prominent than one large donor here and there. And then the, the last thing, I'm actually really curious to see how the forward party does, 
Now, a lot of folks are looking at the presidential election. I don't think they're going to be involved in the presidential election, at least not in 2024. But I am interested to see how they do in certain districts and certain states where uh, there are open primaries or ranked choice voting, where there's an opportunity for a true independent to come in and listen to the constituency of certain districts, listen to the even even at the state at the local level, uh, certain constituency for for city councils. A uh, certain constituency, if they're going to run for uh, attorney general for for these other offices that we don't pay as much attention to, um, I think when you when you tell me that there's a party that has both Andrew Yang and Miles Taylor and Christine Todd Whitman, I'm I'm interested just by virtue of the fact that you got people that we think of as you know from coming from very different places politically. I'm interested because they got together and said we can agree on something. We can agree on democracy. We can agree on certain principles. We can agree on trying to find ways to to agree on something. You know that that somebody who had an R before their name for their whole career isn't necessarily my enemy. You know, we're citizens who you know have different upbringings, maybe different philosophies on something, but we can agree on the American experiment. We can agree on the institutions of democracy. So. The forward party is of great interest to me. So I think those few things um, should give you reason to be optimistic about uh, things. Some things changing here over the next, I don't know if it's this year, you know, even the next two or three years, but perhaps over the next 10 years, I think a combination of those things are going to have a really positive uh, effect or ameliorating effect on some of the things that ail us now. I've been planting that seed for seven years, just trying to get people at least, again, thinking outside their comfort zone. But let's dive back into the deep end of the pool here from Germantown Runner. Do you believe that bipartisanship, he's got big quotes around that for some reasons, uh, means the same thing to Democrats and Republicans? Look, I, I don't, anytime we get into trouble, anytime we try to generalize and say, you know, Democrats are don't mean this, you know, and Republicans, what they really mean when they say bipartisan, like we're going to get ourselves into trouble. Um, ask me more specifically about what an individual thinks about bipartisanship. Some individuals say, well, if you, you have to agree with me 100 percent of the time and that's bipartisanship, that's, you know, so that might be an individual. But I'm not going to take that uh, description and apply it to an entire party. I'm not going to take that description and apply it to anybody who's voted Democrat in their life or Republican in their life. So, you know, I, I, um, I really try to avoid generalizing. I try to take individuals just, just that way on an individual basis. Uh, but yeah, uh, bipartisanship sometimes gets bandied about as ways of saying, well, you're not agreeing with me. You're not doing what I want you to do. You know, and as a lot of elected officials have said, look, you know, elections have consequences. So, you know, a good friend of mine who's hardcore Republican, um, I don't think he's ever voted for a Democrat, but he said when Obama was elected, you know what? He when he got into office, he was pushing the agenda that exactly as he said he would. And that was his prerogative because he won the damn election, you know. Um, So uh, I don't think. Yeah, I, I don't want to belabor that too much. But the point I would make is that I try to avoid generalizing and saying Republicans are this way and Democrats are that way. That's a, that's a, that's a mistake we're all making. And it only, you know, it, it, it it gives us, it gives us license when we, when we generalize that way, it then leads us to mischaracterize individuals that we know, which then leads us often to vilify those uh, people based on those mischaracteriz- mischaracterizations that were based on these generalizations. Does that does that make sense, what I'm saying, Jim? Yeah. So, okay. Oh, I just looked at the clock, and we have 15 minutes left. So I'm going to ask you the easiest question of the night. This one, well, okay. may be controversial for some because they've heard you, but for you, this is going to be easy. Tell tell people where they can find the show, what the name of it is again, and where they can find you and all that stuff. Awesome. I appreciate that. But easiest way to find me is... The website, www.politicsandreligion.us. So I think you have to have the www there, uh, somebody told me. So www.politicsandreligion.us, politicsandreligion.us. Or you can find me, like all the major apps and Twitters and Instagrams and whatever is Corey S. Nathan, C-O-R-E-Y, S as in Sam, Nathan like the hot dog, at Corey S. Nathan. So that's the easiest way to find me. Always, always easy to find people on Twitter because if they need to find you, they can find me, and then I'll point them in the right direction. Because yeah, yeah, <laughs> put the dogs on me. 
go that way. Dog pile on the rabbit. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I, I've admitted before I have a slight Twitter addiction. I'm sure you've noticed. <laughs> it's fun. Well, it's fun until it's not. You know, I think some folks. I, I used to have this um, certain rules where I, I don't want to engage with folks that I don't have a, an existing, a pre-existing relationship with because we tend to lose each other's humanity uh, when we're just firing off these bullets at each other, you know? Uh, so I don't know. It's, I guess we're all learning as we go, but there are good habits uh, to engage well. Um, and then there are certain things where we just go off the rails, you know? Yeah. There have been a few times, I, as much as I've talked tonight, um, and people are, are trying to maybe uh, think about, oh, well, he leans that way and he's an extremist in that regard. So the times that I've gotten in trouble uh, online and folks really, I, I say dogpiling the rabbit because I, I've been the rabbit at times. So one time was I was trying to make a nuanced case and trying to make a nuanced case online is not a good <laughs> idea. It just doesn't go well. But the nuance was I didn't necessarily agree with everything that um, – What's his name? Stand-up comedian. Uh, he did the the closer uh, last last fall. Um, why can't I think of his name? It was on Netflix. It was a Netflix special, the closer. And most of the most of the routine, most of the story was about a uh, trans friend that he had. But along the way, in this routine, um, he uh, he said some things that were like really offensive and cringeworthy as it pertains to trans folks. So my point wasn't necessarily espousing like the views that he was espousing. My point was the folks that were trying to basically pull him off the air or they were protesting outside of Netflix. Like on the one hand, I agree with their right to protest. On the other hand, what they were trying, the, the, the result that they wanted was basically to cancel somebody it was basically to, you're not allowed in polite company in polite society anymore and take all of your content down. And you're not allowed any because you said something I don't like. And that in itself is an illiberal tendency. So I was trying to make the case for the freedom of expression and the freedom of expression isn't challenged when you agree with what somebody says, the freedom of expression, the free speech, the, the idea of free speech is challenged when you disagree with it. You know, so that's the point I was trying to make. But a lot of my uh, friends that, you know, they found what he said to be offensive. Uh, and I'll say, you know, folks who whose tendencies are more liberal or progressive or whatever, they were having none of it. A lot of folks like were really. And, you know, the funny thing is, then is I was having productive conversations on, on a couple of these threads with, I don't know, if there were 25 people that were participating, 23 of them were going really well. Uh, but two people uh, in particular really went to town on me. And what was so disappointing is that they know me as a human being. Uh, so they weren't listening to the nuanced point that I was trying to make. All they were doing was taking this um, thing that, why can't I think of his name? Um, Dave that, Chappelle. Uh, My chatter's Chappelle, got thank you. My chatter's got yeah. it for us. <laughs> I, was there waiting, you go. I was just waiting for <laughs> Yeah, Chappelle, um, you know, they took some things that they didn't like. And, and frankly, they didn't even least listen to the special. They just heard a couple of snippets that they didn't like. And then they were using it to like beat me over the head with a cudgel, uh, and 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 vilify me like wait, like wait, I said wait. before. Wait, wait, we've brought this all full circle. Did you just see what you just did? What did I do? You, they did just I do seen a, a couple clip. They just seen a couple clips of it and blew it up out of proportion. We were talking right. about at the like very the beginning of the show. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um. So that that's yeah. They they took things. And you know what's funny? I, what I posted was Chappelle's five-minute response to the protests. And he said, I, I'll have this conversation. Let's have the conversation. He goes, but I have one requirement. You have to watch the whole thing. I'm not going to talk to you if you took one snippet and you blew it up to mean whatever the hell you want it to mean. You have to watch it from beginning to end, and then we can have a conversation about it. And I got his point because at the end, he actually made a very, very poignant point about uh, a trans friend that he had uh, that, that died. It was very, very poignant if you got to the end. But I, I'll also admit that, like, along the way, I was cringing at some of the jokes or some of the points that he was making because I found them offensive. But then I got it. I got what he was doing. He was using and, – and we could debate this point, you know, to no end. But he was using uh, shock value and other um, techniques uh, that stand-up comedians use uh, to their to, – to, to, you know, 
to very effective in very effective ways so that by the time we got to the end by the time we got to the actual point he was trying to make all the darkness and light and all of the different um tones that he was striking it made it that much more resonant at the end so yeah a couple it's happened a couple other times there was something actually in the podcasting community where um some folks might know about this but a dude got kicked off the board from the the podcast academy and look, I, I saw what he said to somebody and, and he, I, I think he crossed the line and, um, you could debate whether he should have gotten kicked off. Uh, but in the end, I think he got, he, he got a, he didn't get a fully fair hearing, but it, it is what it is. He said something that I thought crossed the line when I, when I saw what he said. Um, and he has views that are definitely in the minority in that community. So what happened in this instance was I saw after the fact that he was already kicked off the board and folks were still being just flat out cruel to him. Like they were chasing him down in these virtual environments and still just like throwing stones, man. And like the, the level of cruelty, I, I just like, wow, like what gives someone the justification? What level, frankly, what level of narcissism gives someone the fuel to, to be that cruel? Um, is it because they think he was cruel and they, they think it's justified? I don't, either way, what I said was like, look, he got kicked off the board. Can we, can we reflect a little bit of grace? Can, can we give the guy a breath? Can we leave him alone? Can we give him some space? I forget exactly what my comment was, but it was along those lines. And man, like I got, I got pounded for that. People came out of the woodworks. And again, it was like this assumption that I was espousing the same things that he was. Um, I just, some of his views I disagreed with, but. You know, I especially disagreed with the way that he engaged with somebody uh, across the line. But at that point, it was done. Like, the dude is suffering. You know, he, he got his punishment. Now can we give him some grace? But because I said give him some grace or, or something along those lines, folks thought that, you know, I might as well have been a proxy for him. So they were just jumping on me left and right. And um, I don't know, man. Like, I, I think that that's not a good way to do it. Uh, we're, we're forgetting about each other's humanity when that happens, we're forgetting that, that, you know, across these things that we feel very, very strongly about, and you can, you know, justify what you're feeling. Um, you, you can feel very righteous in, in certain positions that you're taking any one of these issues. Um, but that person, that person is still a human being. That person still, you know, has the dignity. And as a Christian, I'm, or even as a Jew, I believe that they have the image of God in them, you know, um, and many faiths and many philosophies have something similar where we can see the God in each other. We can see the, or the godliness, uh, in each other, or we can also see the shit in each other. You know, a, a guy that, um, I got an opportunity to talk to. He's a, he was born in Israel, but he became this like Buddhist monk. And, uh, his, his, <laughs> his latest book is like, um, it, what's, what's the, uh, what's the thing that people say at the end of yoga class is, um, uh, you know that the, the the that word they use, which is uh, basically namaste. I see namaste. Yeah, so namaste basically means I see the god in you. Um, he his so his latest book is like I see the ungodliness in you. Why? Because I know the ungodliness in myself. You know, so just that alone, understanding my own imperfections, my own failures, my own proclivities, just on that truth alone, I should give some folks some grace. You know, so. I don't know. I just think we can do this thing a lot better. <laughs> so I'll say this, and then I'm going to do a read here, so just bear with me. Whatever happened to the old saying, if you have nothing nice to say, don't say anything at all? <laughs> Seriously, what do we not teach our kids that anymore? Anyways, okay. <laughs> Since we're about yeah. ready to wrap this show up, ladies, go over and check out smudgetips.com. I, I've I've reviewed the, I haven't reviewed the product, but I've reviewed it online. It's it's phenomenal. I don't. I don't understand why it hasn't been a product. And make sure you use promo code Mauer to check out. Okay, so now we're going to shift into. Well, we got. Like I said, we've got a few minutes left. So now we're going to go a little rapid fire. So you ready for this? The fun stuff now. Let's do it. Favorite breakfast. I was going to say I don't. I'm not really a big breakfast eater, but my favorite breakfast is like it's old school New York. It's like a nice plain egg bagel with lox, a little bit of cream cheese. You put some of the, you know, uh, you, uh, just a drop of onion. Oh man, I, 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 I really enjoy, I really enjoy good bagels and lox. 
So besides the Bible, because I think we've kind of already established that being part of your daily reading or however often you are. Um, yeah. Favorite book. Oh man, that's, that's a hard one. The first one that comes to mind, would it be War and Peace or East of Eden? I think it would be East of Eden. In terms of fiction, I keep on going back to it. The, in terms of fiction, yeah, East of Eden. Um, but I, fiction too, like you can include playwrights in there. I'm a big Tennessee Williams fan. I think Glass Menagerie is a perfect 20th century American poetic play. Uh, nonfiction, Jesus and the Victory of God was life-changing, but the Jewish Christian schism uh, by John Howard Yoder was, a, <laughs> as uh, Stanley Hauerwas, the he, longtime Duke professor, uh, Duke Divinity School professor, would say, oh, well, that's a real mind fuck, and, and it is. His <laughs> Yoder's essays are just blow your mind, so. Man, I totally forgot what I was going to ask you after that, because you said mind fuck, and my mind went brain. <laughs> that's good um, oh here we go this is what I was going to ask you you're a podcaster like me and I, I, I'm not going to ask you to pick your favorite show because that's like picking your favorite child I know better than that <laughs> yeah. too many people have asked me that question but I'm going to go I'm going to turn it just slightly favorite person or person you want to get on your show oh I have a long list of that I, the top one would be David Brooks uh, he's a columnist for the New York Times uh, not too far behind would be David French writes for the dispatch. Um, I, you know, the truth is I've been so blessed, man. Some of my favorite people in that are writing and thinking have come on the program. Like one of my favorite politicians ever, which Christine Todd Whitman, she was the two time governor from New Jersey. The last person I voted for before I moved from Jersey. Um, and then she was in uh, Bush's cabinet. Um, but she's one of my favorite politicians ever. She came on the show. You know, I had uh, Pete Wayner on the show, one of my favorite writers, Jonathan Rausch. Oh, man, the work he's doing, the Constitution of Knowledge. Oh, wow, that was great. So I've had some of my favorite people on the show. Um, I had Lisa Sharon Harper, whose, whose book, uh, it's called Fortune, How Race Broke My Family and the World and How to Repair It All. What just really changed my understanding of the world, of history, of the history of race in our country. Um, and, and her other work previously, you know, her theological, uh, more theological works, um, her drama that she's been involved, her, um, you know, plays that she's been involved with, like she came on the show and I've developed a really nice relationship with her. But yeah, ones who haven't been on yet, I would say Kathleen Parker is at toward the top of the list. Peggy Noonan is toward the top of the list. Um, oh, you know, okay. So David Brooks, but like one and one A. Winton Marsalis. Get me my life. I, I could die. If I interview Winton Marsalis, I could die right then and there. My, my life is good. I just want to talk to Winton Marsalis one time. <laughs> you'd be surprised, man. Well, you've had, you know, you know, I don't have to tell you you'd be surprised. You know that yeah. just as well. As yeah. Later. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've been in touch with his, uh, his assistant and you know, she's responded a couple times, but haven't quite gotten to where, um, he'll come on the program, but someday, someday. <laughs> hey, you build that relationship, and as you know, just sometimes it takes time. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. you're you're blown away, and sometimes it takes time. And I think the ones that take time are more, more. Well, it's already already going to be big for you, but you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, Corey, I must said Nathan because I know that's your last name, but I looked over at my sheet. And I'm like, oh, Nathan, that must be his first name. <laughs> <laughs> Some people call me Nate. For a little bit, I was getting called Nate. But uh, no, Corey, the, Corey's just fine. The the problem with having two first names. Or, yeah. 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 <laughs> I, I appreciate the conversation. Tonight. I'm glad I got you fired up a little bit. I'm sorry about your meds, though. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I stopped it. I froze it in the in the sixth inning. So uh, I'll go back. I'll see if they got a little magic in them tonight. So I really appreciate this, Jim. Yeah, you did get me fired up. So, uh, And I, I'm not going to blame it on the coffee. It was definitely the provocative question. So thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, have a good night, and we'll do it again sometime. Sounds good. And uh, go watch your game. <laughs> and there's there's uh, Corey Nathan. And yeah, so I told you out the shoot. I told everybody this show tonight was gonna rattle some cages and ruffle some feathers. And there we went. That's it's the Mallard Report. Yeah, the Mallard Report. Hey, I want to thank you for joining us. It's been a good show tonight. I hope you enjoyed it. 
take a few moments, subscribe, share, all the fun stuff. You know how to do it. I don't have to tell you. Just uh, be ready for next week. It'll be sooner than you think. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Calafato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.